Hey, House Churches of Life Together Churches and anybody else from Clear Bible listening in. Uh, this is Peter Chernus again, filling in for Pastor Tom. Uh, and we've been going through the series looking at the theme of heaven. What actually is it that we have to look forward to? And last week uh, we looked at seven things that we can, seven true things that we can glean from the Bible about heaven, uh, or our final destination. And we're going to continue to do that now. But I want to, sh- I want to shift the focus slightly to look specifically in this message at what exactly it was that Jesus Himself promised us when it comes to uh, what lies beyond the grave. And so here are three things that Jesus promised us. Number one, he promised us a home. You know, as we've been looking at descriptions of the new earth, you know, what it is that we can expect uh, the real final heaven to be like as in our final destination, you know, the new earth where we're going to have real physical bodies and a real physical universe. Uh, you know, I really do want us to see what we have to look forward to. And, and for reasons that I've shared, I think it's good and important and helpful to do that. But in another sense, I really don't care what it's going to be like. I just want to know for sure that it's true, that there really is life beyond the grave, because I haven't actually been there. And so I do take great comfort in that there is someone who has been there, our Lord Jesus Christ, and who has come into our world and has given us assurance of what lies beyond. And one of the clearest places he has done so for uh, done so for us is, is in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. It's one of my favorite passages where Jesus, on the night before he goes to the cross, he gives some assurances to his disciples. He says this, John 14, uh, verses 1 to 6. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, my favorite line in that passage is where Jesus says, If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus says to his best friends, If this life really were all there is, I would be up front with you. I would tell you like it is. I wouldn't string you along with false hope. But this life is not all there is. If it were not so, I would have told you. I promise you, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare your home, your final destination. Trust me. And that's, honestly, that's really all I need to know. I don't really care exactly what it's like. I care that it's something good, prepared for a God who loves me. And so that's really the first thing. He's promised us a home a good home. And then the second thing, number two, uh, two, uh, the second thing that he's promised us is rewards. Now, this one I have to confess I've struggled with a bit in the past. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, as we'll see in a moment, it is so clear in the scripture, it's emphasized again and again that Jesus calls us to do things, and as a result, he promises us rewards. Um, 
but I struggle with this because it just sounds so mercenary. Like, I feel like we should be doing things for selfless reasons, you know, or just because we love God and not try to do stuff so we can get a reward. I mean, it just sounds so unspiritual. Uh, I remember when I was a college student at USC, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And, and I remember having a discussion about this with my discipler, uh, Jim Kirchival, great guy. We're still Facebook friends. And I can picture the dorm room we were in when I, I told him I was really struggling with this whole rewards thing. I mean, I said, it just doesn't sound spiritual to be doing things for rewards. And and I can't remember exactly what he told me in response. It was probably something like, well, it's in the Bible, so deal with it. <laughs> and and that does seem to be what we need to do here. It's in the Bible, so deal with it. Uh, but not only that, it's also that, that it's so often emphasized by Jesus himself. And so it's like we really need to just deal with it. And and actually, in fact, it's actually the context of this key passage that we've been looking at. We started the series with really looking at um, Matthew 19 passage where Jesus says, you know, his, his, how he describes the end of all things uh, and uh, kind of the, the uh, you know, really the beginning of real heaven for us. He calls it the renewal of all things at the renewal of all things when he sits on the throne. But you know what the context of that is? I mean, listen to the verse right before that one, Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, answered Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, Peter is saying, What's in it for us? And the remarkable thing is that Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say, Peter, you're just being fleshly right now. You just should do it just because, because that's what Jesus' people do. No, he tells him what's in it for him. The very next, next verse, verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That is is an astonishing promise. And it's not an isolated promise. Jesus again and again holds out rewards as being a motivating factor for us in following him. Uh, Matthew 5, 11 to 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 6, 1-4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But instead, you know, basically give in secret, you know, and then he says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Matthew 10, verse 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And that's just a sampling. There are so many times when Jesus holds out reward uh, or rewards as a motivation for following him, for doing things. And that seems to go so far away from what I think should be our motivation because, I mean, there's so many passages in which Jesus he calls us to not focus on self, as in what we can get. Uh, rather, he's always talking about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him and you know living a life of self-sacrifice. And, and, and that sometimes has led me, I guess, to consider or conclude that, I think wrongly conclude, that it, 
having desires or desiring for your ultimate good is a bad thing. Like we need to stifle those selfish desires. But when you really dig into it, I mean, Jesus is actually encouraging those desires, desires for reward, desires for our ultimate good, even as he gives those same calls to sacrifice and to self-denial and taking of our cross. Uh, in other words, Jesus never calls us to self-denial for self-denial's sake, as if denying yourself is, is a good thing in and of itself, as if it's the goal. It's not the goal. It's the means to something greater. Um, in, in the actual call to self-denial, Jesus makes an appeal to desire. Uh, for example, he says things like, sell everything you have, and what? You will have treasure in heaven, an appeal to desire. Or he said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. Where's the motivation? Not on losing your life, but on finding your life. He makes an appeal to desire. You know what Jesus is doing in all those passages of denying self, it's all about really letting go of something lesser to gain something greater. It's not really about denying gratification, it's about delaying it. As C.S. Lewis says in his really great essay called The Weight of Glory, he says this, uh, quote, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased, end quote. And so, um, so what are the rewards, though, that Jesus promises us throughout the gospel accounts? Well, we really don't know for sure. I mean, some have said that maybe it'll just be the ability to enjoy God more, uh, maybe a greater experience of that infinite joy that C.S. Lewis refers to. And, and I, I think that's maybe part of it. Um, but there seems to be more to it than that. As we kind of noted last week, there seems to be kind of carry some kind of carryover from this life to the next, uh, and perhaps in some really practical ways as well. Uh, one example may be Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 12 to 19, where Jesus, he gives a parable about the man, this man who entrusts his money to 10 servants, and he goes off on a long journey. And when he returns, he rewards the servants who truly made good use of his money. He rewards them by giving them responsibility over multiple cities to rule on his behalf. And uh, I've personally always seen that passage as figurative, and I kind of still lean that way, but some people actually think that that has literal implications regarding our reigning with Christ and what our responsibilities might be in the new earth. And that is completely possible. Um, but figurative or not, the rewards are real. And they're mentioned by Jesus as a motivation for us to, to live not for this life, but for the life to come. Now, I, I do want to be really clear here and uh, make a clarification. This is not talking about salvation, which is absolutely a free gift. There is nothing we can do to earn salvation, nothing you can do to, to make God love you more than he already does right now. Um, just like there's nothing my kids can do to make me love them more. They are part of my family, period. Um, but just as my kids, when they were younger, would grow in responsibility, I, I would reward them 
with more responsibility, not being more of my kids. They're, that that's that's not out. That's outside of their control. That's a gift. But I would reward them for more respons- with more responsibility as they kind of earn that, as that, as they kind of earn more trust. That would give them more trust, more freedom. And I kind of think that's the dynamic here. I mean, we are absolutely secure in our adoption as sons and daughters of the King, simply by virtue of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It is a free gift. We're part of his family forever. Um, but I think God does want to bless us with greater and greater privileges and responsibilities uh, uh, here and in the life to come as we grow in those things, even in this life. Um, so just make sure we don't confuse those two things, salvation and uh, as just being adopted fully into his family as his kids, purely by grace, forgiven by grace, by the blood of Jesus. But then he raises us up as kids, as his kids and his family, and gives us more and more rewards, responsibilities, and, and trust. So um, so anyway, that's the second thing Jesus promises us. He promises us rewards. And then the third thing that he promises us is a wedding. He promises us a wedding day. Revelation 21 verse 9 says, uh, one of the angels, one of the seven angels said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And Revelation 21 verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Um, you know, Jesus, he holds out rewards as a motivation, but the real motivation he holds out is himself. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And over and over again in the gospel accounts, Jesus calls us to keep watch, uh, to be alert, to wait for him. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 42 says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Uh, so he wants us to watch for him, to look for him, to be ready for him. Uh, for his return will be our wedding day. Uh, that is the great expectation, the living hope of every believer. Our ultimate hope is not dying and going to heaven. That's going to be a temporary intermediate state. The great longing of the New Testament writers is Christ's return, our wedding day. Uh, Philippians 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You know, whether Jesus returns tomorrow or in another thousand years from now, he wants us to be longing for his return, to be ready for it, to anticipate it. It will be our wedding day. And so live as if it could happen at any moment. Um, which kind of leads to our three application points for this morning. So or we, you know, we had three, uh, three t- things that Jesus promised us. He promised us a home. He promised us rewards. He promised us a wedding. And here's three application points uh, for us as well. Number one, um, cultivate the longing. Cultivate the longing. Meditate on his return. Hunger for the new heaven and the new earth and our resurrected lives united to our resurrected Lord and a resurrected universe that will never end. Hunger for your true home. I mean, this, this is a spiritual discipline. Uh, this is something, there's things we need to do to cultivate that hunger because there's so many distractions all around us. So, so we we must intentionally 
um, you know, take time to focus on the life to come, to think about it, actively think about it, hunger for it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, quote, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get showed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. End quote. And A.W. Tozer said this, quote, In nature, everything moves in the direction of its hungers. In the spiritual world, it, it, uh, it is not otherwise. We gravitate toward our inward longing, provided, of, cor- of course, that those longings are strong enough to move us. And then Andy, Randy uh, Alcorn says this, We need to spend our lives cultivating our love for heaven. Jesus said it this way in Luke 20, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so here's a little exercise for you. Here's some homework for you, an, uh, uh, an exercise you could try maybe later tonight, maybe before you head to bed. Just take a few minutes and, and step outside, um, even if it's cold, you Finland, Minnesota folks, and just stare up at the sky, you know, waiting for his return, just looking for his return, just anticipate it happening at, at any moment. And, and do that for if you can, do it for a full two minutes. You know, that's a long time to just stare in the sky. But but that exercise will actually help kind of just cultivate an anticipation, a longing. Just picture him bursting through the cosmos at any moment. Um, or another exercise you could try is just to meditate on Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 21. Uh, here it is in the message translation. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. So that's the first thing. Cultivate the longing. And then uh, second application point is to is to learn to live in both worlds at once. Live in both worlds at once. Know that, in a way, you are already there with Christ in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. You know, we live in an incredible dynamic right now. It's it's a dynamic made real by the Holy Spirit that in our current state of existence, we're both waiting for the coming kingdom and we have access to the coming kingdom right now. For with, we're with Christ, even right now. We're seated with him in heavenly places. And, and Jesus calls us to live the kingdom now and to invite the kingdom to come here now. To he, I mean, he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven now. And this is a dynamic of what some theologians call the, the already, not yet dynamic of the kingdom. And you know, God's kingdom is it's already here, and yet it's not fully here. And Paul would pray that our eyes would be open to this reality, that, that, it, uh, that we already have access to the kingdom right now. I mean, Satan wants to blind us to that truth, but Paul prays, open our eyes 
Uh, Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21, here's Paul's prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably a great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We have access right now to kingdom realities. God's kingdom, is it's not fully here, but we have access to it right now. And Jesus, I think he speaks to that dynamic when he, when he both, he says in his preaching when he was here, he said, he said both, he said the kingdom of God is near. And then in the very next breath, he says the kingdom of God is here within you in your midst. And that's the, that's, this is a dynamic that began to be experienced really by the apostles on the day of Pentecost. You know, Jesus, he gave his disciples a commission, but then he said, don't do it yet. I'm calling you to do heaven-type stuff, but it's going to be the Spirit that's going to be your connecting point to that heaven-type stuff, really calling on heaven, calling heaven down to earth. And so that's really the second point, living in both worlds at the same time with the Holy Spirit being our connecting point between those two worlds. And so we pray every day, every moment of every day, come Holy Spirit, open my eyes, Help me to see those kingdom realities. It, you know, it's an ongoing command of Scripture to be continually filled with the Spirit. And how do we do that? How are we filled with the Spirit? The same way we're saved, by faith, simply by believing the promise. Jesus promised, if, the, if you know how to give gifts, give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so it's a promise. We say, I believe your promises, and so we ask, come Holy Spirit. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, those are two application points. Cultivate a longing for heaven and uh, you know a longing for the new earth, a longing for the wedding day, um, a longing for the kingdom. But then number two, uh, begin to enter into it right now by the power of the Spirit. And then finally, third application, and I'll I'll close with this thought. Um, take some time to reevaluate your investment portfolio. Reevaluate your investment portfolio. You know, earthly wisdom would say, deny yourself a bit when you're young, uh, younger, have a young family by not just spending all your money on things you want. Maybe put some money aside from retirement or for college, and which is not really about denying yourself for denial's sake, but for future reward. And the same is really true in the kingdom. As I stated earlier, Following Christ, it's not a call to abstain from gratification, but to, de to delay it, to let go of what is lesser for what is greater. Um, Jesus said it this way, Lay up treasure in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, or thieves cannot break in and steal. It's simply good investing. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series, I have a plaque on my wall. It's in my bedroom. I've had it since I've been a teenager, and it just reads, Only one life. Will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. To me, to live is Christ. So let that sentiment motivate you. Um, but here's the key don't let it be the fear factor that motivates you. Fear of kind of getting your hand slapped by Jesus on the last day for not doing a better job investing. That, that kind of motivation will only carry you so far. Rather, let it be hope a sure and confident and growing 
hope. Think about what it, what awaits you any day now. Fix your eyes upon it. You know, C.S. Lewis, in, his, in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's called The Last Battle, he paints a picture of what, of what awaits us. Uh, it, it puts death and the true heaven that awaits us in its proper perspective. Here's how that whole story's uh, end. Uh, Narnia represents earth. Aslan represents Jesus in this story. And here's how it ends. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother... And all of you are, as you used to call it, in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen uh, after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before it. Do you believe that's true? It is true. Jesus promised it. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you have given us the assurance that you have gone to prepare a place for us. It's real. You will come again. If it were not so, you would have told us. And so we don't have to worry about knowing exactly what it's going to be like. We can think about it. You want us to think about it. Um, if we're a little wrong at the end, that's okay, because what we can be assured of is it's good and it's eternal, and it's real, and it's true, and it's substantial, and it's it's more real than this, this life right now. And so may we uh, fix our eyes on you. May we deny ourselves, not for denial's sake, because we're so hopeful of what is to come. Uh, may we long for the wedding day, long for you ultimately, and may it transform how we live our lives and how we feel about life right now, that we would be excited for what is to come, and may that motivate us uh, in, in how we live our lives right now and how we feel about our lives right now. Give us grace to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.